Today we are continuing the series in Ephesians, and it perfectly coincides with the Easter passage being today. Last time we looked at the first 14 verses in Ephesians, and now we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And our goal is to receive the power and the victory that is in this prayer. Now, if somebody says to you, um, please pray for me, um, they wouldn't expect the kind of prayer that we're going to read here. This is not the kind of thing that you would expect somebody to pray for you if you come up for church to someone after church and ask for prayer. <clears throat> it's kind of rather different. And I want to show you that actually it, it is the right prayer. It's a good prayer, even though it's not the kind of thing that we normally pray. Given all the things Paul could have prayed, it's kind of surprising. Um, so that should catch our attention and challenge us. And I'm going to break it into three this morning, which is the same as on your sheets. And by the way, um, I, just feel free to write all over it. And if you, like, if you see any things in the words, you want to underline particular ones, just do that. Because the, the more you engage with the word, the better you're going to remember and you're going to connect with God, what God is saying to you. So my title is Paul's Easter Prayer. For us, I've added that for, it's not just for the Ephesians, but it is a prayer for us. And we're going to look at the first is the reason Paul prayed. That's the first section. And then the core of the prayer. And then the, the climax, which is the power that is available to us. So first of all, the reason Paul prayed. And I'm going to, um, to go through. It's the same as what is on your uh, slides there, what would your hand out there? I'm just going to put it up here. Those who are watching on the internet won't have the handout, so you're the favoured ones here. <laughs> so we're starting then, we're just going to begin with the first, what's in the box at the top there. This is why I also, having heard about your trust in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the holy ones, never cease giving thanks for you. Now, this is my translation, and I'm, I'm trying to be as close to the Greek as I can be with it actually still being readable, because some of the things I want to point out, actually, you, you, you want to see that they're right there, woven into the original. And we use the word, the saints, your love for all the saints. And that's a kind of ambiguous word. The, the literal word is holy ones, because... Uh, the word holy really doesn't mean pure. It means dedicated to God. So this is where he's describing the people in, in um, the city of Ephesus as being dedicated to God. This is his description of them. So why? here's a question for you. Those two things that are in orange there. Uh, having heard about your trust in the Lord Jesus, the first thing, and your love for all, for all the holy ones, why would that trigger Paul to pray? Because this is why he prays this prayer. Can you tell me? Why those things? You're going to have lots of questions this morning, so you better get used to it. Yes, Bill. Okay. 
They're, they're on the right path. They're trusting Jesus, loving one another. I would say they're signs of life. It's spirit, there's life there. There's spiritual life there. That's really what it is. So would someone see them in you? Now, this isn't about judging you this morning. This is more about a motivation for us. How would someone tell by, by looking at your life if you trusted in Jesus? Or not you particularly, but someone. How would you tell whether somebody was trusting in Jesus? What signs would there be? Okay, so giving your time to, to, to for coming to events, they, uh, maybe giving your resources. Um, that's good. I would say even more generally... Following his teachings, no matter what it cost you. Following Jesus' teachings. So that might be not taking part in something that's unethical. Or it might be um, doing something that you know is right but could get you into a lot of trouble. In some countries, that might, that might happen. Um, so it's about your values. And this was clear. In this pagan society, it could be quite costly to follow Jesus. And so uh, you could lose your job. You could be all sorts of trouble. Um, how could you tell if somebody loved other believers? Okay, so it, 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 there is a big overlap between these because Jesus, of course, told us to love one another. It's part of following him. And so, um, but it would have, it would be manifested, I think, in community, in actually gathering together, but also in doing acts of good things for other people and, 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 and giving to others and maybe just uh, talking to others, giving you your time, resources, and so on. Anyway, whatever it is he saw, he saw these two things in them. And this led to his prayer. And so that's the introduction there, making mention of you in my prayers. And then we have the core of the prayer, which is this section here, which goes through to um, from... Um, the last part of verse 16 through to uh, 19. I'm just going to read that now. Making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the holy ones, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So um, can, you, can you tell me why I've marked those places in purple there? Why? It's the Trinity, yes. Now, this is really good because like, the Bible never explicitly teaches the, the Trinity. It assumes it. And this is one of the places where it's just woven in. And there are quite a number of places uh, in the New Testament where the Trinity is just assumed and woven in. So it's good to highlight them when we see them uh, here. And um, so I just thought I would, I would point that out. Uh, so... The essence of this prayer, then, is in verse 17. The prayer is that through the Spirit, we would receive wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Wisdom, revelation in his knowledge. Now, do you ever pray that for people? I must admit, sometimes I pray for 
people to have wisdom if there's some decision, but I don't usually pray that they will have revelation and knowledge through the Spirit. But this is what he's praying. And it's not, he's not praying that they will have some sort of special revelation. He's praying that actually this revelation will be really getting what he's talking about right in this letter. This is the revelation. Because it's more than just reading the words. Something has to click inside us that says, oh, right. That's what it's about. Um, and so here are these three then. Um, but, and I don't think there's a big distinction he's making between wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of him. I just think there are three different ways of speaking about what he's going to go on to explain to them. And it's, it's like a lead up to the content. And uh, now one more thing before we get into the core of this, the, the, uh, the last part of this prayer now. Um, he says this lovely expression here, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What do you think that means? The eyes of your heart. Have you noticed that hearts don't actually have eyes on them? You notice that? Like the eyes are up here, the heart is here, and, and we wouldn't want our hearts to be, to be enlightened, would we? Like we would not be light and kept away from the light. So obviously this is a metaphor. This is picture language. Picture language needs explaining. What does this mean? What does it mean? Our eyes of our heart being enlightened. What's the picture? When he says the eyes of your heart being enlightened, it means um, an emotional understanding as well as an intellectual understanding. It's both of those are together. And to grasp these things, and there's a, there's a psalm which, which fits in with this. I'm just going to see if I've got it here. Um, there we are, Psalm 19. The laws of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. I think it's beautiful. Because like saying, oh God, oh, wow, that is so exciting. So it's a truth that makes you light up. And this is what he wants us to get from today. And my prayer is for all of us today, the eyes of our hearts will light up as we get it, as we don't just get the truth of it, but it reaches our emotions as well. So a beautiful way of describing it there in this passage today. And he prays three things. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the, in, of the glory of his inheritance, the holy ones, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, it's, I should probably have spaced them a little bit more um, here, but those are actually three, three statements in the Greek, three separate things. The hope of his calling, the second one, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the third one, the measurable greatness of his power. And I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at those. And um, so what I'm going to suggest to you, that those three things, we can sum them up as, as um, what God has already done. The first is that he wants us to grasp our hearts to be, the eyes in our, of our hearts to be enlightened, to know what he has already done. He's loved us and called us to be his, which leads to a certain hope. 
So to, to truly grasp this is part of the prayer. It's part of what he wants for us, that we get this calling. And, and so you can think, so this is what he's done. The second thing is what he will do in the next life. This is our, the inheritance aspect of it. And um, now, you notice that the, 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 the reading that I've, I've translation I've given you there is a little bit odd. It says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Colon, the holy ones. Now, what it actually says, you're expecting it to say our inheritance, but it says God's inheritance, which is us. Hang on a minute. We are God's inheritance? Like, why would he want us? Like, aren't we? We're a mess. We're like, we're, we're constantly failing. Like, but God wants us? Yes, that is what he's saying. Like, we are the glorious inheritance that he is so excited about receiving. So we think, oh, heaven is our inheritance. But it's saying here that actually God is receiving his inheritance in us. Wow, how does that make you feel? He's so excited about you that like you are what he's going to be getting in the eternal time. And to me, this is just beautiful, the way this flips things around, because it changes my view of myself as not somebody that God has just had compassion on. Oh, it's lovely that he's saved me and so on. But God values so much, he sees me as his joy, his inheritance. That's, that's, can you connect with that? That, that, really, that really kind of gets me excited because I have a special place in his heart. I have a special place there that he is anticipating this time in a special way. So what he's done in the past, what the future is, and then the power that is available to us now. Um, now, what's interesting is that this fits very closely in with the, sorry, the, um, the last sermon that we had, where we had those three things in his prayer, and they were in fact, they were in a different order. So the last time when I preached, we had the blessing, we had uh, what God has already done, uh, what's happening in the revelation, the present, and then we had the future inheritance. So we had past, present, and future. Though he's got the same three things here, but he's changed the order because he's going to spend a lot more time expanding on the present. But it's interesting, they're the same three things. So in the introduction, those first verses, he's going through. Those are the three things that he's going to be dealing with in this book. And now he's going to uh, spend more time on the power that's available to us now. Um, so it's about accessing God's power right now. Would you like that? Would you like to know more about accessing God's power right now? I want to say, yes, you can pray that for me, Paul. Like, you can pray. I, please pray. I want to access God's power now. And, and this, is, this is, the, um, this is so, such an exciting place in this message today because now we're going to go in to the third part of, which is the most important part of our, what I'm going to say today because it's about the power that is available to us. So let's read the word, shall we? And um, 
So the words then, we're going to start uh, second part of verse 19. So this is um, the, power, the greatness of the power um, available to us who believe. According to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead. Now, what I've done there, you'll see there's a staircase of going up and up and up. So, raising him from the dead. So, this is Easter. Amen? Today, Easter Sunday, he's raised from the dead. But he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just stop, oh, I've got a body now. No, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then, more than that, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, And above that, every position that exists, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And above all that, all things in subjection under his feet. And this is like the the climax of the resurrection, not just being raised from the dead, but going more and more and more and more and more. And then uh, the the, um, punchline at the end, and gave him the one who's raised above everything, as head over all things to the church, a gift to us, which indeed is his body, the fullness of the one who is filling all in all. Now, um, I don't, the the word, just just clarify while we're here, um, I don't think it's saying that the church is like a headless body and Christ is like a head stuck on top. That's not the imagery there. The church is his whole body. And by head, it means he's, he's like the leader, the one who, who, who is, who is um, heading us up. It's not that he's like the bit on top and we're kind of underneath. That's, that's not the model there. So we're, but we are his body and we're his fullness and we are identified with him in such a way that when Paul, on the road to Damascus, had that vision of Jesus, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hey, what? <laughs> I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. Yes, you are, because this is my body. Do you see that? That identification? And so the, 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 the gist of this passage is... This incredible truth has happened that Jesus is raised high above everything and he's a gift to us. Are we going to get that? Do, are we going to understand how this works out? What are the implications of this? And um, this, is, this is what we're going to spend the last part of our message now. What does this mean in practice? Um, so let me give you then the key idea. And I'm going to, um, if there's one thing that, okay, let me just go past this one. If there's one thing that I want you to remember today for this sermon, it's this key idea. Um, the power available to us who believe is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and continued to raise him higher and higher and higher. Yes, it's the same power. So this is what I want you to connect with today. And I want the eyes of your heart to be opened to this. 
So let's just go back and look at the steps then that we saw. Um, raised from the dead at the top there. Um, he's seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above every ruler and authority, and power and dominion, and every position that exists, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and put all things in subjection under his feet. Those are the steps. Now, the question is, what does this mean in practice? Like, it's nice to have the idea that this is available to us, but, like, what does it really mean? What does this mean in practice? And um, it's interesting. We've, it refers here to these names, um, ruler, authority, power, dominion. What does it mean here? Well, archaeologists who have been investigating this region around Ephesus at this time have found that these exact names were used of the, the uh, spiritual um, demonic deities that were, uh, they believed in at those times. These were names assigned to different kind of levels of demonic powers that they believed in. And so clearly what, God, what Paul is saying is there is no power, no spiritual power, no, nothing that can attack you. Now, um, it's tempting to say a modern equivalent of this in our society might be something like uh, crisis higher than all COVID viruses and other health challenges, all immigration authorities, all employment agencies and HR departments, all relationships, all finances, and like try and like say, well, this is, might be the modern equivalent. And this is true. I mean, this is true. This God is higher than all of those things. And, and I believe that when we pray, we can say, God, please may not my PR come through. And Lord, you are higher than all of those authorities. I believe we can pray that. And, and we should pray that. And that is a valid application. But I don't think that this is Paul's primary focus here in this passage. And how do I know that? I'm going to give you two reasons why I don't think so. Um, in other letters of Paul, there are very similar statements, but with a bit more context, and it's clear he means something a little different. And the other reason is because later on in this letter, where he expands on how it applies to our life, it's a little different. But uh, I want to say this is still a valid thing to pray about. I don't... I. Christ is higher than all of those things. So, first of all, I want to take the, the, the other letters that Paul's written that have got similar ideas. And a really interesting one is in Colossians. And Colossians chapter 2, which is quite similar to this, he's talking about the cross and the resurrection. And in 2 verse 15, it says, Having stripped powers and authorities, exactly the same names for the beings. Uh, he made a public display of them, triumphing over them in it. That's in his death and his resurrection. Uh, Therefore, let no one judge you. Now, what if you look at the context here, um, it's about lies that that has been embedded in us or embedded in those around us about 
um, lies like, you're not good enough, you're going to fail all the time, um, you, des- you don't deserve to have any pleasure or anything nice happen to you. Just these lies about who you are. And part of that, what had happened in this pagan culture, is that in order to respond to these lies, you had to do things to yourself like, um, let me just see if I've got, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here's uh, what he says. Um, uh, self-imposed religion, self-abasement, unsparing treatment of the body. And so you basically, you might whip yourself or starve yourself or, or, or um, just do things, just, just, just deprive yourself of things because you're not good enough. You don't deserve it. And we do the same sort of thing. We may not do that physically or to our bodies, but there's, there's a voice inside which condemns us. Oh, what a stupid, why did you do that? That's a stupid thing to do. Why do, are you ever going to learn? And this voice inside, I'm not going to say it's a demon in you, but those are implanted, those messages are put there by the demonic forces. And I believe in, in Colossians, this is what Paul is saying, that these demonic forces have implanted implanted in humans negative self-talk which is condemning about your value who you are and this is the kind of thing which in colossians he says jesus has destroyed the power of those voices he stripped them of their authority by his resurrection his death and his resurrection and uh, he says, so for example, why can they can't, this voice inside you can't accuse you because it's been nailed to the cross. If you're interested, I've actually written a paper about this, which I can give you a copy of if you're interested, because I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a core idea. And in our society, I think we've got, um, uh, a pandemic of negative self-talk, of like self-condemning inner thoughts that just, we're just so, uh, we're, we're, we're so, um, inwardly focused in a negative way and and this is the work of, of the devil this is what he loves to do he is the one who comes with lies to destroy you he's a liar and so any lies that you're carrying are from the evil one because he is the father of lies so like i say i'm not saying that that satan's actually you know he's in us or anything like that i'm not saying these spirits are are in us but at some point they've implanted these lies into us and we're carrying these and so what I'm going to say to you then is that the, that we, the first application that we have from Paul's prayer is that these lies we carry are wrong because we should take our, our definition from Jesus. So let me ask you, how would the voices in your head be different if you truly believed what Paul said about Jesus? and his power being available to you. Can you tell me? Okay. Your value. Yes, that's right. Your value, you wouldn't kind of have that uh, fragility. Yes, what else would be? I mean, like, who are you to condemn me? I'm I'm like a child of the king. He's dealt with all of those things. Like, he's dealt with everything like that. Uh, Okay, I'm I'm still very imperfect, but I've got such a value to Jesus, and he is is mine and I am his. And to have that as the self-talk that we have, I belong to Jesus. Like, he, he is in me. He's raised from the dead. He's far above all of those lies, all of those voices. Jesus Christ 
is mine and I am his. And that kind of self-talk should replace the self-talk that is just destructive. And so that's my, the first thing that I want you to carry. And I've just got these two things. This is the first thing I want you to carry today. Uh, the second thing I want you to take from this, um, which is how he applies this later in Ephesians. A large part of the second half of Ephesians is about relationships in home, in work, in church, in society. And the evil forces plant in our minds about how we are to relate to others. So, for example, uh, if someone is a slave, they may be told that the, 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 they may be told, "Oh, you're a nothing. You're worthless. Just do your job." And you may, you may, in the workplace, receive that sort of message sometimes. I know some of us have workplaces where we can be struggling in, and they may not explicitly say, "You're worthless. You're not doing a good job." But you may kind of get that idea, like, "What do you? Who do you?" That, can't you do any better than that? Or you missed that deadline? Or, and there's this kind of message that's coming through. And uh, 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 sadly, um, some of us get this. We get bad treatment in the workplace or in some other part of our lives. And what this is saying is, the way Paul applies it later on in the book, he says, actually, you're not serving that person. That person isn't your boss. God is your boss. God is your boss, and you can say, you know, you shouldn't actually say this to your boss, but you could say, I'm far, far above you, my dear boss, in my status. I'm way above you, but I want to do a good job, as good job as possible, because I'm not actually serving you, I'm serving my king. But I'm way above who you are. And so it's a, a complete change of mindset in all of your relationships that you are relating to those other people as somebody who is, has a status that's high up there and you're, you're relating in a way that, that you want to please Jesus. So uh, the same deal for husbands and wives. So when he comes to talk about husbands, um, the husband gets, says, I get to lay down my life for you, my dear wife. Not because you deserve it, although she might deserve it, um, but because I get to model, uh, to model my dear Jesus. I get to model my life on him. So I get to lay down my life for you. And so rather than having a, like a, a relationship like this, you've got a triangle where you have this status in Jesus and you can actually relate to that other person because of who you are in Jesus. So I would say then that the second part of how we apply this is it, if it comes into every single relationship, then um, it, it um, can transform them. Now, I've got a little story here, which I find really kind of helps with this idea, and hopefully you will. Um, there was a, back in, in England, um, up until... Um, a thousand years ago, it was constantly being invaded and brutally invaded by hostile forces from other countries. And around 800, there was a king in the area that I'm from in southern England called Alfred. And Alfred was quite remarkable for a number of reasons. One, because he actually discovered Christianity. He was a Christian, 
taught himself to read in the midst of everything else he was doing so he could read the Bible and come to know God better. Extraordinary. Um, But um, he actually managed to free for, for quite a bit of time that whole region from the Vikings. And he managed to, to, uh, to, uh, to bring freedom. Uh, but there's a story, and we're not, sure, we're not completely sure this is true, but it might, might well be true, that he was at one point, uh, they were on the run, they were trying to regroup, and there was a very marshy area, and they were finding their way through this marsh, and the local people were providing food for them and uh, looking after them. And he, he came to this house of this woman and uh, she, she, she didn't know who he was. And she said, oh, if you, if you watch the... Um, I'm just baking some loaves. If you watch them baking, then you can have some food. And so these little loaves around the fire. So he's watching them. And while he's watching them, he's getting distracted by by trying to work out a strategy for how he can defeat the Danes. Like, what should he do? And he's trying to work this out. And he, he doesn't pay proper attention. And guess what? The loaves get burned. And the woman comes out, and she sees what's happened. And she screams at him. She is so angry. So what do you think he does? Do you think he, like, screams back at her? No, he doesn't. He apologized. I'm so sorry about that. I, I, I should have been paying attention. I wasn't. I'm so sorry. He didn't need to get defensive, did he? He didn't need to do that. He's not feeling threatened. Of course not. Of course he's not feeling... She can't in any way diminish who he is. With this. So he doesn't feel threatened at all. He apologizes because he should have been looking after her. He doesn't say, why, why are you talking to me like that? I'm the king. He doesn't tell her he's the king at that point. And anyway... He goes off. Later, she discovers that he was the king, and she's totally mortified. She thinks, oh, what's he going to do? But actually, he doesn't. He's he's fine. Um, But can you see how the fact that he is the king means he can have much more freedom in these relationships because he doesn't feel defensive. He doesn't feel, oh, I can't allow myself to be spoken to like that. Now, can you see how if you are so secure in in, in Jesus, who is raised so high, you're so secure in that, how that could transform your need to get defensive, your need to start asserting your, your authority, your need to, to, um, to relate to people and, and, and fight your corner. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't uh, stand up for ourselves. We shouldn't just allow people to walk over us. But that's only out of principle, not because we, you know, we have an emotional reaction. And so uh, this, I, th- I feel, is the, the, the biggest thing that we can take from this today. That if we truly grasp and we truly connect and the eyes of our heart are, are open as to who we are, we actually walk around as different people. We actually walk around with a different mindset. Every single interaction we can have is, is, is different. And like Paul talks later about, about husbands and wives and children and parents and so on, and about how you don't, you don't need this to happen. You can just act out of, out of how Jesus wants you to act. So, so, um, let, so Paul thinks this is important. So let me let just sum up now in my, uh, my summary and then my last slide. So to summarize, the reason Paul prayed, the core of the prayer, and then the power available to us. 
And I'm going to uh, give you a final slide here. Uh, so this is my summary. The first thing is, ask God to enlighten the eyes of your heart so you see the love and security he has called you into. And you'll see the incredible richness of your future and the power available to you now. So that's the first thing I want you to pray. And we're going to pray in a moment. That God should give us those three, enlighten our, our, our hearts, so we'll see those. And you, I'm sure you can see that if you really get those three, you're going to live differently. And so that's the first one. The second is ask God to help you walk in the truth of your true status. To walk, to live out the truth of your status. And I've got two things. Your beloved is, is higher than the highest. Don't tell yourself lies or allow others to tell you them. Don't get defensive. Don't, don't, don't be, sorry, don't, don't, uh, um, allow that you're useless, you're no good, you're, you're a waste of time. And then the last one is focus on what God wants you to do and you have nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear. So um, I was just recently sorting out um, videos that I have of my mom for her funeral and I found one of my dad that um, he, he gave, gave before, before he died. I got a bit of video on it of him telling his life story. And one of the things he said, which was very interesting, he said um, when he was um, uh, just a young man, he really felt God was calling him to be a pastor. And he was, there was a particular, he was wondering, like, where am I going to pastor? What church am I going to pastor? And he was speaking to an, uh, an older Christian, one of his mentors, and he said, you know, I'm just really concerned, like, where am I going to get a church? Like, how can I find a church? And the, and the guy said, hey, wait a minute. Do you believe that God has called you to be a pastor? He said, yeah. Well, why are you worried about a church then? God's going to provide that. Oh, he thought, right, of course. I don't have to worry about that. And so I want to challenge you, what's God put on your life? What's God's calling for you? Because if really God has called, called you to do that, and that's what he's given you in, to do in your life. And he's so high, he's raised so high. Now, what ultimately you do have to worry about? What ultimately is a problem? Because he, he's on your side in this. His power is available to you. So I want you to... Um, to take these things in and to take in this identity um, that Paul is giving us. Identity from Easter. Identity from the resurrection. And I'm just going to, to close in prayer and I'm going to pray these things for us right now. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this extraordinary description of what we have in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that, that we are your inheritance and you take such joy in us. And we bring these requests to you, Lord. We pray that you will, you will open the eyes of our hearts, that we will, we will just have a joyful vision of what you have for us. Lord, open those eyes. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to walk in the truth of who we really are. Help us to walk, Lord, as children of the King in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you will get, enable us to trust you, that you will take us through where you want us to go. 
in the direction you have for our lives. We bring these things to you, Lord. May these truths become embedded in us and may it change the way we live. We ask you in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.